Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. Betty Ann Schlossberg is the Director of Influencer Marketing on the Culture and Entertainment Team at Lyft. She leads all influencer campaigns and entertainment event partnerships. Prior to Lyft, she worked at Google for over six years, managing celebrity and influencer partnerships across hardware. She launched Google's first white glove concierge program, as well as a micro-influencer community for hardware with over 400 influencers. She's also worked on creative collaborations with big names such as Skrillex, Jeff Koons, Jeremy Scott, and others. Prior to Google, Betty Ann worked at a tech startup and as a producer at Crispin Porter, both in Miami. Betty Ann earned a bachelor's degree from Duke University and currently lives in New York City with her husband, Jason, and her dog, Clifford. Just a couple of announcements for those of you who are avid listeners of the podcast. If you are based in New York or traveling through New York, we have an event coming up, our 2019 event in New York City. Um, It's going to be in mid-November, so keep an eye out for that in our private Facebook group or... Uh, definitely join our mailing list because we're going to send out the invitation that way as well. Um, We hope you join us and we'll be having another one in LA in 2020. So keep an eye out for that. To join the mailing list, of course, just go to our website at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. You can always, of course, join the Facebook group by searching WIM Industry Only on Facebook. We really hope to see you at our event coming up, and let's jump into this episode. All right, Betty, and we are super excited to have you on the podcast this morning. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, So I am extra excited to have you on today because I feel like um, it's a rarity that we get someone from such a great brand. Um, we've definitely had people from incredible brands before, but Lyft is so well known. Um, it's been so successful. You guys work with influencers and I'm just really excited to hear all about how you do it. Um, in the Before we started talking, we heard a little bit about you in the intro to this episode, but tell us a little bit in your own words how you got to Lyft, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Um, so I definitely did not have a traditional career. Um, I graduated from Duke University thinking I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. Shortly after taking the LSAT and applying to law schools, I decided that I wanted to do something more creative. So um, I ended up working for an advertising agency in Miami, Florida for three years. Um, I loved it there. I learned a lot. Great first job to really learn how to manage people, time, and money. From there, um, I ended up doing a short stint at Perry Ellis, also in Miami, but I really was not happy there. And um, I just 
After six weeks, I said, this isn't for me. And I left and I went to a tech startup and that was my first foray into the tech world. Um, the tech startup was something called Sugar and now I'm going to be dating myself, but it occupied the same space as a Living Social or a Guilt City or a Groupon, but it was all mobile at a time when everything was web-based. I was there for about a year or so and I started doing partnerships and really working on a lot of our social after um, a year. Uh, you know, the company kind of ran out, ran out of uh, funding. And so I ended up getting hired by Google in Miami. And so I was hired for um, Google Plus when Google Plus first started. Again, dating myself, <laughs> RIP Google Plus. But um, I was hired to lead a local marketing group to um, get influential people, businesses, nonprofits to use Google Plus. I did that for about two months, built up a team, and then I ended up managing all of lifestyle and fashion on Google Plus. And I, I did that for about two and a half, three years. Um, Google made me move to New York, so I, I came to New York. And I ended up patenting a product with Google called Shoppable Hangouts in partnership with the CFDA. And from working on Google+, Plus, I ended up moving over to the accessories team at Google, which ended up being the hardware team. Um, and I did all of our celebrity and influencer partnerships um, from working with big names like um, Jeff Koons to create a phone case or Skrillex to create a phone case um, to building um, Google's first ever micro-influencer community. Um, I launched um, Pixel 1, Pixel 2, uh, Lots of influencer events and um, a lot of a lot of fun work at Google. And then about a year and ten months ago, I came to Lyft to be the director of influencer marketing and entertainment events. I have so many questions already <laughs> just from the last like five minutes of you talking. I don't even know where to begin. But let's start with. Um, I don't know, the transition from working for a giant company like Google that does probably a little bit of everything, um, and then Lyft that's like very focused, like this we do ride sharing. Um, so what has it been like in the transition a year and 10 months ago from Google to Lyft? Yeah, I think what's really interesting is Lyft emulates a lot of what Google already has built um, in the sense of community and um, structure and process. It was um, it was an interesting change to come from a company at the time, I believe there was 70,000 people working at Google, to come to a company, I think I was the um, 2,350th employee at Lyft. Um, the biggest thing is that I was brought to Lyft to really create a process, to implement influencer marketing, to figure out what that strategy is. That being said, when I was at Google, influencer marketing didn't exist. You know, that that role, that term, there was no director of influencer marketing. And so um, at Google, I was always kind of working on these startups. So Google Plus was a startup. Our accessories business was a startup. Pixel was a startup. And so I had that experience. Moving over to Lyft, it was a more structured startup and it was exciting because while I was there, we went through the IPO process and it's 
ever-changing. The industry is ever-changing, which is so exciting. Now we have um, bikes and scooters, so it's not just rideshare. And it's uh, it's a really exciting time to be at, at the company. Yeah, 100%. And so talk to us a little bit about how Lyft uses influencers. Like what kinds of influencers are they? Because in my mind, they could be a little bit of everybody. I mean, everybody has to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, the ideal influencer for Lyft. Yeah. So I think – With Lyft, we're really innovating in the area of influencer marketing because we're giving influencers something meaningful to talk about. So a lot of the work that we're we're doing is in the social impact area. And so when we look for the right influencer for us, that influencer – I hate this word because it gets thrown around so much, but the influencer needs to be authentic but really needs to have mission-driven values like we have at Lyft. Um, A lot of what we do at Lyft is to help underserved communities, give voices to marginalized communities, and that plays through in the influencer marketing that we do, and whether it's a micro-influencer or a big celebrity that we're working with. I love that so much. And I'm trying to think of like campaigns that I've worked on with Lyft and they've all been mission-driven focused. Like there's been some sort of mission angle with it and that's really commendable. Um, And so authentic, mission-driven is a plus. Um, How many campaigns a month, a year, would you say that you guys are working on with influencers? And and do you work on them all in-house or do you also partner with some agencies? Yeah. So – when you ask how many, it's kind of a gray question. It's hard to answer because we always have a steady drumbeat of influencer work that is out in the world. Um, we look at influencers as um, a tiered approach. So working with um, micro-influencers to really create that steady drumbeat of buzz all the way up to celebrities where we work on big tentpole projects. Um, so the number is kind of hard. We also have relationships with so many influencers and celebrities who, you know, we may, they may reach out to us asking for credit because they're going to some event or something. So that's always happening. Um, I would say the the best type of campaigns that we work on are when all of the tiers of influencers are lining up. So we have you know, one big moment. So a great example of that is um, our past pride campaign, which is um, the two is too few campaign. We um, decided to really focus on the trans and non-binary communities. And we wanted to um, help not only our passengers, but our drivers as well. So we added all of the various pronouns into our passenger facing app. Um, which was exciting because Instagram followed suit shortly thereafter. And uh, there was a fun article that came out talking about that. Um, We also, um, and this is something that we are continuing to do, um, we are helping drivers change their names on their license, which is a difficult process to navigate. And it also can be quite costly. So we wanted to find, figure out a way to get this into the world um, authentically through influencers. So We worked with about 50 micro-influencers all over the U.S. and Canada um, to help get this message, but really tell their own story. Um, We also worked with RuPaul's Drag 
Drag Race winner. Such a good choice, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Sasha Velour, um, in order to really help shape the narrative and, um, give this lens of authenticity to, you know, what we were doing, um, just to make sure that it didn't fall on deaf ears. She helped, um, creatively with our world pride float. She helped with messaging. She helped curating what, what happened on the float at our media dinner. And so having that tiered approach really, um, helped us to scale. And, it, it was really incredible seeing drivers commenting on the micro-influencer posts, on Sasha's posts, um, saying how, how, how this has, you know, changed their lives. We even had a driver post that they, um, they were the first person to apply for, uh, first driver to apply for the name change. So it was really, um, working on these social impact campaigns like this, um, really rewarding. Well, it's so interesting too for a company like Lyft, you know, you're working from uh, the outside in, meaning that you're focusing a little bit on, you know, the riders, but then you're also working from the inside out and and working to um, create buzz or create camaraderie or community amongst your drivers or the people who work for Lyft. Um, so that's pretty unique of a company, like of an opportunity that you can um, go after for your company. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, one could even make the argument that I wonder if some of your employees could be influencers, right? Like yeah. micro-influencers, or maybe they happen to have a big following or what have you, but has that ever come up before? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Um, the campaign that I just was referring to, Two is Too Few, um, we worked internally um, with a woman named Nicole and she is a trans woman and she ended up becoming one of the faces of our campaign and was a model in our campaign and now has gone on to do other modeling campaigns and she still works for Lyft, but it's, it's an incredible story. Um, but yeah, seeking internally, um, those influencers that can help share voices, something that we always try to do as well. And I love that so much because like, one thing we try to do on this podcast is just like flip influencer marketing on its head a little bit. Like how can we think about all this differently? And we talk about influencers, influencers, but like what if your own employees are influencers? You know, how can you leverage that? I mean, the word is just to influence, you know, it's to make an impact. So like who can make an impact? We talk about, you know, micro-influencers. Well, how small, but like the power of a Mm micro-influencer, like perfect example, maybe one of your employees has – maybe even a a few hundred followers, but how much of an influence they can make simply because the message that they have to share. Exactly. And being able to leverage that to like the the most full capacity. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a cool story. Um, and so when it comes to other ways that you guys work with influencers, you said that you, you know, you more or less have activations year round. Um, you know, have do you always work with them on social only? You were talking about maybe some of your celebrity influencers, like designing floats and things like that. What are some more unique ways that you guys as a company have flipped influencer marketing on its head a little bit, thought innovatively, and used influencers in a different way? Yeah. Uh, another really great example is about a year ago, we had an event here in New York um, all around self-driving cars. And it was a media event. 
But we decided um, to partner with um, Daniel Arsham's Snarkitecture in order to create their own version of, you know, what what their self-driving car could be like. And it was an interesting way to integrate an artist. Obviously, Daniel is a major influencer and well-respected in the art world. But we also had a panel that took place during this event. And we brought in um, some incredible influencers and thought leaders from various industries to talk about how they think about self-driving. And so one of those um, influencers is somebody near and dear to my heart, um, somebody named Jerome Lamar. And he is well-known in the fashion space. And I've worked with him for years and years now. Um, And so he shed light on, from a design and fashion point of view, how self-driving cars, the future of that, how, how that how fashion and design can um, have an impact on self-driving cars. So it was really interesting looping in influencers in that way. Oh my God, that sounds – I would go to that event yeah. in a heartbeat. It was fun. <laughs> that sounds amazing. One of the best days of my life – okay, maybe I'm exaggerating, but one of the coolest days of 2019 was uh, when I took your ride-sharing service yeah. um, and got picked up in a Tesla. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, coolest day ever. Um, yeah, I mean, just to talk about like the future of your type of industry, you know, right, like right. self-driving cars and, um, you know, my my driver, it, it was the most incredible experience I should probably share with you, right? Like, so, you know, I got picked up. It was a shared ride. Yeah. So it was like me and like two other people got picked up along the way. Um, and this was probably the best driver I had ever come in contact with ever. I felt like, I mean, the car was his dream car. (laughs) My dream car too. Um, And he just gets to like share how excited he is about this car all day long. He's like showing all of us the features. And of course you like step in the car and you're like, okay, this does not look like a normal Toyota Corolla that I usually get picked up in. He was having the time of his life. Everybody who was in the car had the time of their life. Like he was showing us about the self-driving features and, you know, like how fast it could go. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Stuff like that. It was a pretty unique experience. So talking about, you know, just sort of diving in even internally Mm -hmm. to find out what cool stories there are to tell, to just get people excited. Yeah. it's it's the possibilities are really endless. Yeah, we we do we try to tell a lot of our drivers' stories. Um, there's so many interesting ones. We this this past summer we had a um, immigration campaign um, where we really questioned you know what it means to be American because a lot of mo- I would say a big percentage of our drivers are immigrants. And so we told the stories of the drivers and there's such touching, interesting stories. And we wanted to get influencers excited about this and tell tell those stories to influencers. So we partnered with The Infatuation and we hosted um, an influencer dinner series in Miami, New York, and LA where we went to um, restaurants that were immigrant owned and operated we highlighted our partnership with um, Raices, which um, helps um, on the border. We we help provide rides through Raices, 
Um, and we had somebody from races there to, to speak about all the work that's going on on the border. We also told our driver's stories there. We also told the story of the restaurant, um, which was, you know, so touching. And, and influencers really walked away feeling like they could take action. And I think that's something that is, you know, really, um, we see across all the campaigns that we do at Lyft that it's not just saying, we're going to take a stance, you know, around immigration. We at Lyft take action and we want our riders to take action as well. Well, I mean, when I'm thinking about like your work around all this, I mean, it's just brilliant to me to have so many interesting, compelling stories. And like, that's how you guys are operating. It's not just like a plug and play, like, yeah, talk about how you use Lyft, like how you go in a car and go from A to B. Exactly. Like, like that's just the obvious approach. Right. And I love like all these stories. I mean, they're really unique. They're like mission driven. They're purposeful. Like they're impactful. People resonate with them, I'm sure. Both the people who are, you know, the influencers, but of course, the people who are hearing about these stories. I mean, it's pretty powerful stuff. I love what you guys are doing. That's so cool to hear. And I think that's why it's been, I don't want to say easy because it's it's never (laughs) easy, but it's been an easy pitch to influencers to work with us because they are all, as I said in the beginning, they are all searching for something meaningful to talk about on their respective channels. And we give them something meaningful to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so great. And so, um, you know, speaking of these influencers, what's a piece of advice that you give influencers for working with brands on campaigns? Mm -hmm. So I, this is a great question. I think if an influencer wants to work with a brand, then he or she should be willing to to pitch ideas to that brand, to give them, um, you know, start start the relationship off with that brand. Mm-hmm. Instead of coming in, I get so many inbounds from managers, from managers of micro-influencers too, um, you know, saying, oh, we have this, this client that, you know, we really, we really want, that who really wants to work with you. It's going to be X amount of dollars to work with them. And in my opinion, that I, I don't answer those emails. I just delete because I want somebody that's going to be truly authentic. Send me an email themselves and say, hey, I see what you're doing around carbon neutrality. This is something that I'm very passionate about. I would love to make some posts around this in return for ride credit. Or, you know, you know, or pitch me an idea. I'm going on a, a trip around the country and, you know, X, Y, and Z. But the the influencers, I understand that this is a business and I respect it, but the influencers that are so money hungry, it is it's a it's a turnoff, you know? Well, I think that it's best if it's like both sides have to benefit. Yeah. Right? And so like if it just seems like it's transactional in one direction, like right. that's not beneficial. Right. But like let's also be honest that like we should enjoy what we do. Right. And and so, you know, if someone comes to you and says like, I genuinely love your brand and I also love being a creative influencer. And so like I came up with this really cool idea. Like I just think that that passion and that creativity and that love of what you do comes across and that's also infectious too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I would think that like if someone came to you, like what you're saying, with – 
with an interesting idea, with a, with, with a connection, like a genuine, authentic connection, did a little bit of research, God forbid, on like yeah. what you guys have been up to, that you would be much more inclined to have a conversation. Absolutely. And I keep an entire list of influencers like this who reach out to me with ideas, with passion, um, who want to build a relationship. I think as an influencer marketer, why I have been successful in the field is because I build community and I maintain my relationships. So the influencers that I had, you know, day one, um, living in Miami, working on Google Plus, I still work with them today. Fast forward how many years now? Eight years, nine years later. And it's, you know, starting starting working with somebody when they're small, they're only going to get bigger. And I think, you know, I brought up Jerome earlier. Jerome is one of those. We we sat beside each other at an event that I hosted and now he's doing the biggest things and it's so impressive. So I think, I think starting, building the relationship, having influencers pitch you ideas and just being um, authentic, realizing that people that are in positions like myself, we're getting inbounds every single day. Sure. And like, that's the way to set yourself apart. Yes. To share your passion, yes. share your, you know, it's, it's like a job interview in some yeah. sort, right? Like don't go into a job interview not knowing anything about, right. you know, the other, the company that you're interviewing for or, you know, the company or, or not showing any passion for it. It's, it's, there's definitely transferable skills there, yeah. I would yeah. assume. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, how has influencer marketing impacted the growth of Lyft? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think influencer marketing, in my opinion, it's really um, about brand awareness. It is affecting the top of the funnel. Um, it's a primer, priming your audience for the campaign that's to come. Um, and I think in in terms of growth within Lyft, our brand awareness has definitely been positively affected because of the influencer marketing work that we're doing. And our influencer marketing work, it doesn't just span posting on Instagram or posting on social. It's the events that we're hosting. It's um, the product placement that we're doing in television and film. Um, it is the, you know, partnerships. We were just the official rideshare partner of the Emmys. Um, it's, it all works together and this is all alongside the brand campaigns that are running. It's, you know, we're not just doing influencer entertainment marketing. There's a full robust marketing strategy in place. And so this is the piece that helps with that grow that brand awareness. Definitely. So I have a question for you. Where do you personally want to see the brand grow? Yeah. I think where we can really stand out is through the brand work that we do, um, where when people open their app and they decide to use Rideshare, they're going to think of Lyft first because they know that they're going to be able to round up and donate to the charity of their choice. They know that, um, you know, their carbon footprint um, is we're neutralizing carbon footprints. They know that um, that we really take a stance in an era where a lot of companies are afraid to take a stance. You know, mm-hmm. we I think you know personally, I think we'd love to be in the realms of the Nikes, Patagonias, like that are you know 
saying something mm-hmm. with their marketing. Yeah. And what an incredible role you personally have in a company that is so proud of their message. What an interest, like an incredible opportunity and a role that you're in, in marketing, you yeah, know, because yeah. they're so interconnected. Um, and, you know, finding like, foot soldiers essentially and influencers to be able to like further, you know, elaborate on that message. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, so does does the company focus on big city influencers only or, you know, or, or is it mixed? Because, you know, I, I'd love to sort of dig into, you know, what Lyft is as a company, you know, yeah. their their mission with, you know, how big they, they want to get or how they want to be seen, um, you know, the logistics of it in regards to, you know, I I would think that if I went to a smaller city, you know, there'd be less of them available. So how does that impact your influencer strategy? Yeah. So our influencer strategy is very interesting and um, a lot different than the work that I did at Google because we have local teams in every major market. So I am setting the overarching Lyft influencer strategy, but at times the local teams will be activating micro-influencers specifically on their own. And I think that's where micro-influencers really have so much value because they have that hyper-local voice in those various cities. Um, We work with an agency called Obviously Social in order to do a lot of that micro-influencer work and actually worked with with them at Google as well. Um, And I think um, our our local teams – ladder up into the overarching strategy that we're doing with influencers. But in order to make it scalable, you know, let's say they're in New Orleans, there is a Halloween uh, party or activity and they want to activate those super hyper, like 10 super hyper local micro-influencers, they're able to do it. And so I really empower the local teams to be able to do that with the infrastructure and the tools that I've laid out. That's so interesting. I mean, because in the beginning, you were talking about why you were brought on to Lyft or what your goals were, which are to create structure and um, procedures, I guess, around influencer marketing. And um, I can only imagine that working with, you know, local, smaller cities to be able to activate micro-influencers, how much of a heavy lift, pun intended, that would be. Um, And so I can only imagine the amount of work that you've put in to be able to like make that go off without a hitch. Um, So talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you've learned in that regard, you know, just really try to create processes for your teams and, and, and influencer marketing in general in such a large company. What are some of the learnings? What's some of the advice that you would give to others in, in a similar position as yours? Yeah. Education is key. A lot of people in companies like Lyft or other companies don't understand what influencer marketing is and don't understand um, – how it works and, you know, the the challenges involved with it and the ROI from it. And so it's really, um, on my end, a lot of explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I always like to tell people when we are getting into a influencer marketing campaign is that influencers are human. We – it's not – we look at them and I think a lot of people who don't understand influencer marketing – 
say, oh, we're going to, you know, pay them this much and we want them to do um, this and turn their head this way and wear this color dress and, and so many restrictions. But, and when the person messes up, it is, you know, a huge catastrophe. And so I think just primarily letting people know influencers are human. We're going to do this campaign. There may be, you know, there, there are always things that happen that you can't control for. And um, the most authentic campaigns and um, are, are the ones that you let the influencers be them and you don't put so many guardrails around them and you don't try to creative control so much. Well, I can't tell you enough how refreshing it is to hear <laughs> that from you. Again, like working for such a large, successful brand um, because I would assume that since that's your philosophy, like the company from the top down, from you down, um, are going to implement that and and appreciate that. And, um, and that's huge because um, I would venture to say from an influencer's perspective, they really agree with the words that you just said, um, which is that I'm a human and like yeah. I have my own personal um, creativity and my, I, my own, you know, personal slant on how I would like to present my relationship with your brand. Um, and I know my community more than anybody else. And I know how my content performs more than anybody else because I'm, I'm the, the boss of my own business. Um, and so like the, this mutual respect that right. you're facilitating, I think is hugely important and doesn't happen enough right. because what I see most frequently are brands or agencies on behalf of brands desperately trying to maintain so much creative control and um, and just control of the wording and just everything. Um, I don't know, sometimes it seems for the sake of control, like for the sake of having control, it doesn't even seem like it's it's for any larger purpose than that. Um, and so it's really, it's, it's really refreshing to hear that this is your philosophy. Um, but speaking, I guess, you know, that, that sounds great in theory. I agree with it. I wish everybody was thinking like you do too, but what issues do inevitably come up because of this? Cause it's not going to be perfect. And there are going to be, I'm sure, you know, people who take creative liberties where it might be, you know, it might be a little bit against something that uh, feels comfortable for the messaging that you want to put out there. So how do you combat that realistically? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there, there have been times in the past where, you know, when I was, when I was at Google working with a major partner who was contracted to use an Android device and then posted an iPhone on his social while he is on a flight to China and I can't get a hold of him. And, you know, there, there's going to be those lapses where people forget. Um, I think it's just about, uh, you know, having, having a relationship where you can reach out to them. So um, for us, like on the micro level, when we're running campaigns, if there's something incorrect or if something is – um, not true to, you know, what Lyft is 
saying or the message that we're getting out that an influencer posts, um, obviously social will, will reach out to them and, and help, um, you know, mitigate that, which is great because it's, it's not scalable for, for me to, or my team to do that. Um, and so I think, I think just reminding yourself that shit's going to happen. You know? Shit happens. <laughs> Shit happens, period. Yeah. Shit's always going to happen. And it is. It's exactly what you're saying. It's like when shit happens. Right. Because it's inevitable. Right. right. We'll deal with it. Right. <laughs> we'll deal with it. Right. You know, yesterday, it's interesting. I won't go into details. But, you know, I had a client of mine um, who uh, basically th- there was miscommunication between what needed to be due for the due date, right? Um, And I really respected that the agency involved was really pushing to hop on a call. She, you know, immediately she was like, can we just hop on a quick call? Just, I just want to hop on a quick call. Like it it won't take that long. I just want to sort of like walk through where we're at. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, And, you know, I'll I'll be really honest. Like for me, like eh, if I could avoid hopping on calls, I'm happier. Like let's be real. I know my client was busy, didn't really want to hop on a call. And I paused for a second and I just told that person, I was like, you know, I actually really respect that. Let's let's just be real. She's probably incredibly busy too. She she's not just working with one yeah. brand. She's working with you know twenty other influencers just like you who also probably maybe messed up yeah. <laughs> what the, what was due. But the fact that she just wants to hop on a call and discuss it person to person and figure out a real life solution and maintain the relationship in order to do so and better the relationship usually it, by doing so, like it's really admirable. Yeah. Um, and so that just happened last night. And, you know, I think that like we all, you're talking about, you know, what's scalable and, you know, we're working in volume here. That's a lot of what the influencer marketing space looks like. But I think it's important to just always be cognizant of when is a good time to pause and take a more human approach and, you know, prioritize that. And, you know, when it's okay to just keep it as an email. Yeah. And and there's certain instances where each is appropriate and each helps, but just don't lose focus of like, sometimes you might be on one path doing, you know, 50 influencer activations, but it might be really, really beneficial to pause because hopping on a call is just really going to help you in the long run. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about, you know, influencers that you've personally been working with for years. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, how have you, what have you done to maintain relationships for that length of time? Yeah. I think one of the biggest builders of community and relationships is doing in real life events. So whether it is just getting influencers together for a dinner or, you know, doing an actual like brand experiential event. So for example, um, I was just in Chicago two weeks ago where we went on a scooter tour around (laughs) Chicago um, using Lyft scooters. Um, We had uh, BJ the Chicago Kid do a performance and it was a super intimate group. It was 31 influencers. And I know the influencers that were in my group, I now know all of them, you know, and got to spend time with them. And, and they know you. And they know me and they have a face to the brand. And so I think so much that happens with influencer work is all digital, but 
pulling away and getting IRL experience, like that, that is the reason why I've been able to build my network. Definitely. And I can assume, I can only assume that, you know, doing any sort of event is going to be a heavier lift. For sure. Um, but that being said, it's the the odds of you establishing a deeper relationship with those people are so much higher that it's like it's just the most efficient way to go after creating a better relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think what's been really helpful is tapping into what influencers have going on in their lives. So those that are, you know, in my in my circle, I reach out to them, check in what's going on. Is there a way like I can help in any way? Is there a way that we can provide a discount code for the, you know, event that you're throwing or what, you know, how can, how can I help you instead of it just being like, how can you help me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so switching gears just slightly, um, talk to us a little bit about your journey as a woman in business. It is yes. the end of 2019. Um, you've been fairly successful in your career and you're still really young, you know, yeah. like all the years ahead of you and yeah. all that you can achieve. What are some of your personal goals as a woman in business? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I just got married in December. Congratulations. Thank you. And so um, kids are definitely top of mind. And so I really want to figure out how I can have a family still keep doing what I'm doing. Um, That's definitely something that's important to me. I think, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> I'm, I'm almost 35 and what do I want to be when I grow up? I I never thought that I would be here in this position that I'm in when I graduated from college. Influencer marketing didn't exist, you know? And I think I really have sort of molded, shaped my career and taken the things that I like, which are building relationships and producing things, whether it's event or a product, I've taken those things and I've been able to sort of guide my career in that direction. But I never said, I want to be the director of influencer marketing when I grow up. Um, And so I think, what do I want to do in the next five to 10 years? I love what I'm doing and I want to keep doing it, but the industry changes so much. So it's like, what is that next thing? you know, director, instead of saying influencer marketing, what is that next thing that is going to take relationships, entertainment, celebrity, and take it to the next level? I don't know. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And like, is that just the exciting part of it for you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The journey. Yeah. The journey. Very cool. And so, you know, what what advice would you give the women listening to this podcast who are 21, (laughs) you know, being like, oh, 25 or 35, 35. Like that's, I want to be where she is when I'm 35. What advice would you give to those people of, you know, how to get to where they want to be? Yeah. I think take chances. Don't be afraid to fail. I have failed many times, um, times where I've, you know, gone home, burst into tears because I did something wrong. But each one of those times, I've learned from it. Um, and I think you own the the path of your career. You can take it by the horns and guide it. It may seem 
challenging and it may seem daunting, you know, in 10 years, like how can I get to that, that level? You need to put it out into the world. So when I, when I was at Google and I wanted to switch from the Google Plus team to the accessories team to continue my love of fashion and my love of creating products, I, I did a side project for them. And that's how it started. And I think um, finding mentors and finding supporters who are going to really help you, advise you, um, give you what you need to get to that level has also been something very important for my career. And I, and I suggest finding somebody in your company and in your line of work, but also outside of it, who can have a fresh perspective, um, who is maybe even doing something different, but can, can help give you advice and support that you need to get where, where you need to go. And what would you suggest that, you know, let's say they, they find a mentor, um, what kinds of conversations would you suggest they have with those mentors? What questions should they ask of those people? Wow, this is a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think learning their path, figuring out how that person got to where they are, understanding the skills that it, it took for that that person to stand up to you know, maybe a manager that they didn't agree with or a colleague that they were um, butting heads with, learning those skills of how to navigate, um, whether it's within your company or outside of your company, I think that's something that can can be taught um, by a mentor. I think also um, having having a sounding board, I think some of my best mentors have been Instead of them telling me the answer, they guide me in a way that I come up with my own answer. And so I think that's been been key to my success. That's really good. You got to find a good, a great mentor who's able to do that. Yeah. Um, and uh, if they can, like that's huge. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I I think that like what you're saying, what I hear you saying is simultaneously they're they're also building that confidence yeah. in you as well, which like takes time and and you know, I think that a really good mentor can build your confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I have so many more questions that <laughs> I can ask you and that I want to ask you, but we ask this final question of everybody on the podcast, and I'm really excited to hear your answer. What do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? I wish that some I wish that somebody had told me to speak up when and don't be scared because early in my career I experienced um a lot of challenging things with with managers and the companies that that I was at that at that time I felt too junior I wasn't empowered and I didn't speak up. And, and I look back on it now and I, I wish that I had. That's huge. That's really huge. Um, and who do they speak up to? I think it depends on the situation. But, um, you know, I think it is important to tell managers or colleagues how 
you feel if you believe it's right. Mm-hmm. And I also think if there are issues that need to be taken up with HR, you absolutely need to go and take it up with HR. My my first job out of college at the advertising agency, now in the era of Me Too, none of this would happen, but my first job out of college, I experienced a lot of that. And I was scared to speak up because I was scared I was going to lose my job. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And so looking back on that experience, um, you wish that you would have spoken up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And uh, that's really, really good advice. So just to speak up, you know, like just trust your instincts, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know when something is off. Um, and thank goodness that like we are in a different era and yeah. things have progressed so much and like the Me Too movement has started and we have podcasts like this and guests like you on podcasts yeah. like this to sort of share that message and, you know, you can be a mentor for somebody just listening to this podcast yeah. um, and to be able to learn from you, just like you were saying, and, you know, just trust your instincts and um, have that confidence and that self-assurance that you know what's right. Right. And you know what's wrong. Right. Um, and to be able to to do what you think is right, to be able to fix maybe something that's off. Yeah. Um, that's huge. That's really, really powerful advice. Um, I have a feeling that so many people are going to want to get in touch and connect with you, having listened to this great podcast episode. So where can everybody find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at just underscore call underscore me underscore BA, or you can um, also find me on LinkedIn, Betty Ann Sloshberg. Amazing. And we're going to link all of that in the episode notes as well. So you can find Betty Ann. Um, I'm so happy you could join us today. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. So fun. Thank you again. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments, so comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in.